right. Welcome to Voices by Viv. I'm your host, Riley Conroy, and today I am joined by Izzy Seropsidy, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Viv. Thanks so much for joining us, Izzy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and contribute to this podcast. I've been looking forward to this for so long, so I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah, super excited to have you on, super excited for whatever conversations we get into here. My first question and the kind of first thing I just wanted to talk to you about and hear from you on is just sort of like how you got interested in the period space or the sustainability space and like how you really got involved in Viv and like what sort of mobilized you in this in this space. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey here? Yeah, of course. I have been watching Viv grow really from the start, from when Katie kind of dove into the company all in and really went for it. And I loved watching her take this on headstrong. On top of that, I also myself was going through all my own sustainability journeys. I started really kind of diving into sustainability in college and and really wanted to kind of make bigger and bolder moves with that. And so fully decided to transition from my old full-time role, which is in corporate America, like awful position and decided to kind of, all right, like I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go into a startup instead that I feel has a lot more mission behind it and a lot more drive. And it was very exciting. And on top of that, I kind of really have always had a lot of interest in feminine hygiene space and care and because there's such a lack of education in this space that I felt like there was so much unknown that I wanted to kind of unpack. I myself was going through a time where I wasn't sure if I wanted to be on birth control anymore. I had been on it for, I mean, now I've been on it for eight years now and it's it feels like it's been forever and no one's telling me necessarily to get off it, but there's all this research behind why you should and why you shouldn't. And there's just a lot of things that I didn't know about the, about the female body that I think I was interested in learning about. I knew that diving into Viv, I would kind of unpack that and learn a lot more and new interesting things. So that's kind of what drove me to Viv and where I am today. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's really like to your point about how with the whole birth control thing, there's no one really telling you to get off of it or like no one who maybe necessarily told you like what form of birth control to get on. But I do feel like, and I feel the same way, like when I was younger, I just kind of got on the pill because I was sort of under the impression that everyone did at a certain point. Everyone was like the thing that you did. And it was like, everyone did it to like make their periods regular and it was just like totally fine and normal. And I remember doing that myself at a really young age. I don't even know, maybe I was like 16 or something like that. Maybe, maybe even younger and like didn't know about any other options, any other alternatives until like my twenties when all of a sudden people were like, Oh, I'm getting an IUD. I'm getting this, that or the other. And I was like, I didn't know you could have a patch. Like I didn't know there was anything besides the pill. And I also don't think I went into it knowing much about what it was doing to my body and like beyond its very kind of classic or obvious purpose, which is obviously birth control and like period regulation, like what else it was doing to me. Have you been exclusively on the pill or have you tried out other forms? I have only been on the pill. And like you said, it was really because no one told me of anything otherwise. It was because everyone was getting on the pill. And it was like the trend that you wanted to get, like the Ugg boots, like everyone had to have them. You had to be on birth control. 
and I mean, yeah, it was for having the normal period, but I also had awful acne when I was in middle, like in middle school and in high school. So was really going into that for that, but no one really told me any other methods of birth control until I'd say college really for me. So until my twenties, I found out about the the patch and it wasn't until maybe two years ago that I learned about the IUD and, and that scares the like living hell out of me, like shoving <laughs> something up your vagina and like literally just sitting there. I don't think that actually really scares me, but I mean, that's a whole nother thing to get into, but yeah, I haven't really tried any other birth control methods yet. Doesn't mean I'm against them, but definitely kind of looking to transition off eventually because, you know, there is a lot of research out there that does say it's harming your body. And, you know, it is hormones that you're putting in to you that aren't necessarily supposed to be there. So it is going to be interesting to see how that all plays out, especially with creating now this, this male form of birth control. It's absolutely crazy. It's bonkers, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, especially moving forward with I feel like a lot of research and education around birth control coming out. Yeah, I feel like for so long it was just, there wasn't a lot of options or innovation or even like research done on other forms of birth control. So the pill was like one of the more classic examples that that people went on. And I remember also doing it for my skin as like, if not the entire reason I was getting on it, but like the majority reason. And I also have this like vague memory of me sitting in my pediatrician's office, I think with my mom in the room. Oh God. (laughs) Talking about like my acne and how like getting on birth control would be a good solution. And looking back, I'm like, what just like what a crazy like situation to be in. You know, I'm I'm lucky that like my mom was pro birth control in the first place for that reason or for whatever. But like, it's so interesting how at such a young age, we're like getting on this really like hormonal and influential medication that like does all kinds of crazy things to our bodies without really knowing. And so I think it's to your point, like I also want to see what else is out there and like try it. But there's like a lot of, it's like kind of scary, like you said, to, to put something like in your body that you're not familiar with or like try out some of those other forms that are just new and scary. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've heard stories from your friends as well. I haven't heard the the best stories about the IUD being inserted. I've heard terror stories and people being in so much brutal pain and in bed for days, if not like a week after their IUDs put in. And that I think scares me the most is like what my friends are telling me about those situations and them not being able to move. And I've also heard like it, you have to get it taken out because it's not inserted the right way and you're bleeding because because it cuts your inside. I don't know. I've just heard crazy stories and it's just, I think that scares me the most from it, but I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like it's, it sounds to me like a little bit more like high risk, high reward. Cause I think like in terms of its efficacy for actually like protecting against pregnancies, it's more effective than the pill or like than the patch or anything like that. But there is more obviously more like short-term challenges to actually getting it put in and like going through that. But then like people also talk about like one of the reasons they want to get the IUD is to just not have their period at all, which I totally get like the, um, the attraction to that or like the draw of that because your period can be a nuisance. But at the same time, it like really kind of freaks me out to, to think that you just aren't menstruating, which is like a very natural process that is supposed to happen when you have this thing inside of you. And I go back and forth on that because I'm like, wow, it'd be so nice to not have to think about my period, but it would also be like a little freaky to not be having a period. And even if the 
period quote unquote that I have on birth control is like not natural. I think I trick my brain into thinking it's totally fine. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you that it would be really funky and I would feel off if I just didn't have my period. Um, you know, I'm very much so aware that that's going to happen like further on down the line. But if that were to happen now, I think it would definitely throw me off guard. And my period personally is not a huge struggle. Mine lasts maybe I'm super lucky. Mine lasts maybe two or three days max and it's fairly light. It's definitely on the lighter side. So I'm definitely a luckier one out there that has a pretty light flow, but yeah, I think I'm going to stay away from the IUD personally. I'm, I'm good on birth control, but definitely looking at transitioning just off entirely is definitely an option for me. Totally. And you, you brought up male birth control, which I think is such an interesting topic because it's, I think it's not as new as I think it is, but I think it's getting a lot more traction lately. Like there's a lot more mainstream media talking about it now. And I think for a lot of people really like shocking and they're like, how could this be happening? Like not just because they're like, well, men shouldn't have this or something like that, but just because it is brand new and it's like not what most people are used to. And, you know, I've heard people talk about like, oh, well, like vasectomies are totally reversible. So like if every man just got a vasectomy while they were trying to not get anyone pregnant, then they can just get one reversed. And I think of that as like, that would also be an invasive procedure, like getting an IUD or something like that. But like, in theory, is an option. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on this? Like, do you have? Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) yeah, it makes sense for girls to have birth control, but at the same time, the male is the one that's constantly has fertile sperm, you know, like we are only fertile a certain block time of every cycle. Like, why are we the ones that have to take it? Because we're not constantly fertile. That's where my head always first goes with the male birth control. And it definitely is coming more into media. You see it more and more often now. I saw it probably for the first time about a year ago in media, but I think, I mean, you know, they definitely have the technology out now that where they can create some kind of birth control for men to take. If that's not the case. It's more a matter of men owning that and understanding that, okay, maybe it is our turn. Yeah. I always like, I always think about how when you think about the idea of like not enforcing that like men take a form of birth control, but even just like suggesting something like a vasectomy or something like that. There's a lot of like pushback. It's like, well, you can't like tell us what we're going to do with our bodies. Meanwhile, the entire world has told women what to do with their bodies for a long time. But something like less invasive like that, like if there were like a pill or something more comparable for men to take, I do think men would be like open to to taking that. But of course, it's like there's so much more long term research around like female birth control, but it feels like much safer, whether it is or it isn't. I just think people are more comfortable with that. And so I don't know like how quickly men would be willing to like jump on and start taking a relatively new medication. Yeah. I mean, we are in 2020, you know, like we, they could figure it out. I, yeah, I think men will definitely be more receptive to the idea of it nowadays in comparison to older days, but I don't know. I hope for the best for it. it, And I really do hope that they are able to educate more people moving forward on that topic on both sides as well, not just females, males as well. I think that definitely like with the movement towards if that's kind of the way the world is going towards a more like normalizing male birth control that's going to have to be a massive like educational push to so that the whole world knows about it can accept it and get on board which is definitely 
no easy undertaking, but I think it'll happen in our lifetime. I think it'll be the norm. It'd be really cool to see. Oh, absolutely. I'm here for it. There's so much going on now these days. I mean, hey, women and females are half of the population. We got this. <laughs> totally. Um, jumping back to what you were saying, like in the very beginning, you talked a little bit more about your sustainability journey and like getting more into that in college. Can you talk a little bit about like, was that just like a gradual progression? Was there anything like, what are like some, some things you can tell us about your sustainability journey? Cause obviously you've now gone like full swing into it, like joining a sustainable startup. So like, what was that progression? Yeah, I think, so I'm from California and I think that has a huge play in me wanting to dive more into sustainability. I think, I mean, I grew up with it here a lot. I literally kind of lived in like a hippie town. I'm not going to lie. There's like a hippie town that was right across, like the town across from me. Um, but they have like in high school, my favorite ice cream shop was like this all natural organic mom and pop shop. And they literally had those potato compostable plant-based spoons, like even in high school. And so having all of that around me all the time, I felt like was a good transition into my sustainable journey. And I went to college in Orange County, LA. So was still in the California realm and going into college, I do think sustainability itself became more of a lifestyle trend that a lot of people hopped on. And so, you know, I brought my reusable water bottle everywhere with me. Like it never left my side, um, just like my phone. So that was always there with me. I started buying all my grains and nuts in bulk. And so like, I would be like not having as much plastic packaging in my foods and getting just simple switches like reusable shopping bags or reusable uh, the grocery bags that you used to like put your your vegetables and fruits and stuff um, from the produce section. So just little things like that, that you can easily do to shift and change to a more eco, eco-friendly and sustainable lifestyle were, were things I started doing in college. And I don't think it was really until I started watching Viv that I started to learn a lot more about this world. Mm-hmm. And seeing it now and being in it now, there's a lot that I'm learning and I'm asking myself, wow, why, why doesn't everyone do this? Why don't people all know about this? And I think it's like being said, the lack of education around feminine care, there's just a lack of education around being sustainable and doing different things differently in your life. Totally. I think it's really interesting how you talked about um, like kind of the environment that you grew up in, like just being in California and how that maybe some more sustainable options were just available and in your face, which makes it like a lot easier to kind of get started. Whereas like, I mean, not that I grew up like anywhere rural, but like in the suburbs outside of Boston wasn't really the trendy area with like the vegan ice cream shop or like the evil. (laughs) Exactly. So like, I don't think I became aware of some of the more like, I guess, nuanced changes that you can make. Like, for example, like when I was little, I remember I was like really into the environment, specifically into like whales and like polar bears and was like really concerned. Totally. And I remember being like, we have to start using reusable grocery store bags. Like that was like early switch that that my family made. But even understanding how like plant-based diets can support the environment and are more sustainable than like heavy 
meat and dairy diets, things like that. I just didn't become aware of until so much later because I don't know, for one one reason or another, it either like that information wasn't available to me or I wasn't seeking it out or just like those options weren't around as much. So it didn't like dawn on me to look for things besides like that's plastic. Let's recycle. Like some of the more like classic things you hear around like being sustainable. Yeah, I definitely think being in California had a huge impact on that for sure. And I mean, not even just sustainable switches that I mentioned, but so many people were going through the weird fad diets in LA, including like being vegan and vegetarian. So even I myself had my my phases where I tried being vegan for four or five months and I switched over to vegetarian for four or five months. And I even now go through little phases where I do slowly stop eating meat and then we'll be doing that for a couple months and then kind of like dive back into it a little bit. So I think it's really just, it's a learning process for yourself and kind of doing what you feel comfortable with as well. You know, you can't be upset with yourself for using the extra Ziploc baggie or getting the plastic cup at Starbucks every once in a while. But you know, it's, it's a learning process and everybody takes it and handles it differently. Yeah. I love that. Cause I think there is to some degree this like maybe societal pressure to be the perfectly sustainable person. And it's like all of a sudden you have to go from living a totally normal life to being zero waste and like never using single use plastic. And like, that's just not a realistic jump to make overnight. So being really thoughtful about what you're buying and like making some conscious decisions to be more sustainable, I think is, this is going to sound redundant, but like a more sustainable way to be sustainable, like sustainable for yourself, like more practical. And I also think it's really important when you're thinking about like making sustainable switches, like look at the corporations and like the companies that you're buying from and look at not only like their packaging, but like at a more structural level, like what they're doing to be sustainable, which is something that I love about Viv and something that I've been super impressed with is that like top to bottom, like the company's focused on sustainability, right? It's not just like to be flashy and to be kind of like trendy, but to to really like those sustainable values, like go from, you know, the, the tiny details of the packaging up through like some of the more like back end stuff that you're probably seeing behind the scenes that I don't see as much of, but at least that we hear about, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I will say being on the inside, it is definitely tricky for a company to be sustainable being such a small startup one and not having necessarily all the funds to prioritize that as much as we want to, like it makes it tough to constantly want to be as sustainable as we want to be. And we do what we can. It's definitely like our priority as our company. So we will always prioritize being sustainable over anything else. That's what's frustrating in the space in general is that the sustainable options are like often not the cheaper options for for consumers as well as like for companies like it's it's financially difficult to be sustainable sustainable. (laughs) but from the consumer side of things like Viv is awesome for that right because you guys have like these really affordable products that are all bamboo based or like reusable with the menstrual cup and stuff like that so that's I don't know, from the consumer base, I feel like really great about using your products, you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> everybody who's listening, go go try our products out. We do, we definitely do try to prioritize as well as sustainability, like our price points. It's very important to us to make sure that the sustainable lifestyle isn't just accessible to those who can buy it. 
normally, you know, they're priced at a high price point and we try to make our products accessible to everybody. That's important to us. We want it to be a lifestyle that everyone can achieve and have access to. Yeah. I think that's like, you just made me think when you're talking about like sustainable choices that you can make that are also cost effective. I've been seeing a lot more around like thrifting and like going, um, you know, <laughs> doing all of that kind of stuff because that's obviously a cheaper option and you're like not kind of contributing to fast fashion because you're like getting clothes that have been used before. And I know you've done some thrifting. Have you like, is that something you still kind of do with the intention of being sustainable or is it more just like a fun practice for you? No, I like loved, loved thrifting in college. Like there was so many fun thrift shops. Um, where my home is now in San Francisco. So I love thrifting in San Francisco. It's so fun with all like the cool hippie trendy kind of whack clothes that you can find here I do love thrifting it's not as much of a activity that I go out for in Boston I would think as much I don't know really know that many thrift shops around Boston as much as I do so here in California but definitely as well as like thrifting is a great thing but trying to stay away from like that fast fashion is really important as well and I've noticed like myself throughout the years slowly kind of stay away from the less quality clothing companies that do like run through that fast fashion very quickly and they make that like their priority is like their their thing is their fast fashion I'm thinking like Zara and like Forever 21 H&M a little bit, but in trying to buy like those one, that one item that's going to last you a lot longer rather than the t-shirt that's going to last you two summers and then you're going to toss it. (laughs) That's a transition that I feel like I've slowly been making since like early college when all my shirts were like $11 shirts from Forever 21. It was like, I wore it six times and then it started falling apart and I had to get a new one. Right. And, And maybe that's just the world that I live in, but that felt like everyone was doing that freshman year of college. Like everyone was wearing the the cheap shirts, but then like actually investing in an item that will last for a lot longer is like both sustainable. And like, I think there's like looks better. It's not as cheap material. It's better for everyone. It's better for everyone to do that. There's definitely probably not as good of a thrift scene here in Boston as there is in San Francisco, but there's a few places I haven't been in a while, mostly for sanitary reasons. <laughs> but um, but um, I need to get back into that because I do think that's like a really fun way to to be more sustainable and to like to get really unique pieces of clothing and do more of that kind of thing, which is which is like both fun and good for the environment. <laughs> Let's go. We should go. Do they have Buffalo Exchange? Is that like I know that's a thing over here, and I know it's a chain, but I wasn't sure if it hit Boston. Yeah, there's a Buffalo Exchange, actually, like, probably 10 minutes from my apartment. (laughs) Um, There's, like, the Garment District in Cambridge, which is really awesome. And I think there's a few others sort of just scattered around the city that that are good that I haven't checked out personally, but we should go. That would be fun. Yeah, I do love thrifting. It's a great thing. And I think in college, like, early on, you know, you're trying to like blend in especially freshman year and like you want to like blend in with the trend so of course you're going to buy into all that fast fashion stuff and especially being an early college student I didn't have like a bunch of money just sitting around to invest in like a really nice cashmere sweater that I was going to keep forever you know what I mean it wasn't as accessible at that age and I think as I've gotten older now it's become like more of a realization for me so I think I don't know. That's the tough thing too. making, like we mentioned before, making sure that those kind of things are accessible to everyone. 
totally. I think some of that like comes from maybe a maturity standpoint where it's like you can't see the delayed gratification of having a piece that lasts long term and you just want three cute little shirts that you can wear out this weekend or whatever. But I totally agree. When you're a college student, you can't just drop, you know, a bunch of money on a single item like that just doesn't make sense for the budget which again is why I think like some like secondhand stores can be really great um because you can get sometimes like sometimes secondhand stores are if they're like boutique they can be more expensive but like some more some are cheaper and some are more affordable which is always a good option I feel like I should have done that more in college honestly yeah what kind of sustainable switches have you made if if you're asking about me and my switches i'm curious what you've done so i know you've you've gone into sustainability world like a little bit definitely top yeah yeah i think like honestly my my biggest switches have been going to the menstrual cup which i think has has been a game changer for me there's definitely like a few other things like you know, just trying to be more conscious about like my single use plastic usage, trying to bring my own cup to a coffee shop or well, they're not really letting you do a lot of that with the pandemic, which is unfortunate, but like pre-pandemic, some of those like bring your own bags and things like that. Honestly, the the menstrual cup has been like the, the big lifestyle switch that I think has probably made the most impact on like the environment. I have to, I have to imagine just because I think so much about how much plastic especially learning from Viv and seeing like all the posts about like how many plastic bags go into a single pad or something like that. Like to think of all the years that I've been having a period and using those products, how much I've just racked up in terms of the amount of plastic that I've used just from using the only products that I thought were available. And now switching to the menstrual cup, obviously just like gets rid of all of that. Absolutely crazy. I had no idea about a menstrual cup or what a menstrual cup even was until I started working at Viv. That's how little education there is around that product. It's absolutely crazy to me. And I mean, my, me, myself, I'm still in the learning process of using a menstrual cup, definitely figuring it out with my own body. It's a process, but eventually do want to make that switch. I think that's, it is a huge yeah. impact for the planet and just that alone can, can do a lot. It's definitely like a big switch and like I love it a lot so I talk about it a lot and I've talked about it with my friends and like I get a lot of questions and people are like is it uncomfortable like isn't that kind of gross and like I definitely think there's like some getting used to it like it's not like a the first time you try it for everyone it's gonna be perfect like it it is it's different than anything that you're using whether it's a tampon or a pad or whatever but I'm a strong proponent of it just because like for me it's it's the best option but I think with anything like new like that people just getting comfortable with it as a concept and then becoming willing to actually trying it for themselves and I think a lot of people have have like reached out to me and be like oh my god I've thought about trying a menstrual cup for so long but just didn't know anyone who was using it and liking it and like now that they hear that they're convinced because I feel like there's there's something like really refreshing or like comforting when you like someone you know says like hey I use this and it's really good compared to just like you know seeing a review on a website or like just hearing about it in mainstream media and not really knowing but having like someone firsthand be like no I used it it's it's a little weird at first but you get used to it and it's really awesome yeah, word of mouth on that aspect goes a lot longer of a ways than any marketing material, whatever. Yeah, I think word of mouth for the menstrual cup is really what's going to drive its success. And I think so far that's what it has has been mostly as well. And that's what we've seen work for the Viv Cup too. 
So moving forward, hopefully people will make that trend, that switch over. But I think it is, like you said, it's a, it has a lot to do with someone being comfortable with themselves doing that. And like, it, it's, it's a very invasive process and you have to be very comfortable with yourself and in that process to be able to accomplish it. Totally, totally. And one of the other products that I feel like is newer on the scene is just the period underwear. I haven't tried it myself. I've been super curious about it. And it's the same kind of thing where I feel like I need to just try it or I need to like find someone I know who's tried it, who, who can tell me like the pros, the cons, like everything about it. Just give me the rundown so I know what to expect. Have you tried it at all? I actually haven't. I have not, but I have not been like a pad or liner user in like years, literally years. I've just, something irks me about the, I mean, sorry to use this word, moistness and like wetness (laughs) underneath me that just, I can't deal with it. And it's distracting to me personally. So period underwear is not up my alley. I can (laughs) tell you that. But I feel like it's the same way as a menstrual cup where it's for some people, if it works, it works. And if you use it and you love it, like you absolutely love it and you're not going to go back. And I feel like period underwear is the exact same way. Yeah. I want to try it. I've like heard people say like, you know, you really don't feel it. Like it really doesn't feel like wet. And I'm like, I just have to see for myself because I really can't wrap my brain around how it works, but it's really cool. Do you think, and I, I don't know if, um, if this is anything you've talked about at Viv at all, but like, do you think that is an avenue you guys would go down in the future? Like trying out, like to, to make a, a Viv period underwear? Um, I guess that's probably a more long-term question, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Absolutely. I mean, we are open to so much. We've talked about other products coming out on the line. Are definitely interested in expanding our feminine care product line, whether that be period underwear, other period care items. We're definitely looking at expanding what we have now into more. What that is, I can't necessarily tell you yet, but um, I do promise we are working on expanding that in the coming months as well as years, for sure can't wait to try it all. You'll be the first to know. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, I think, you know, that's, that kind of covers the the majority of the questions I had for you today. I'm so glad we were able to talk. Is there any kind of, like, what can you give us as a final, like, send off in terms of, you know, anything we should be checking out or doing, any place we can find you or things we should be aware of, of what's on the horizon for Viv? Yeah. Um, This upcoming year, 2021, I'm not sure when this episode is going up, but we have a lot going on in 2021. So everyone keep an eye out for that. But also moving forward, you know, educate your friends, educate your menstruating friends, but also your non-menstruating friends on feminine hygiene and periods and normalize all of this shit because the only reason that it's going to get normalized and the only way it's going to get normalized is because of you. If you don't do that, then no one will. I love it. I love it. We're all have to put in the work if we want to, you know, create the future that we're, we're looking to create. So I love it. That's what we're doing here on the podcast, right? Like that's the whole point. We're talking about it. We're normalizing it. And hopefully everyone who's listening will be inspired to have a conversation with someone today about all this. Well, thanks so much, Izzy. And thanks to everyone who's listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you. Bye, Izzy. Bye.